Let's turn our Bibles to James chapter 2. I commence reading from verse 8. James chapter 2. I commence reading from verse 8 to verse 13. If you really fulfill the the royal law according uh, to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We are back in our study of the book of James and we come this afternoon to verse 8 through to verse 13 of chapter 2. And I've said before and I say again that James' goal in this letter is to show that true faith shows itself in practical godly living. And as James is opening up that theme of his letter, he's highlighting different aspects of the Christian walk or the Christian faith. And in each of those aspects, his appeal is that let faith show itself in practical godly living. And this is what he's been, this is his aim. And in chapter 2, we've been looking at the issue of partiality that he's been dealing with. And again, even in there, he tries to show that true faith shows no partiality. And in this case now, he's trying to show why partiality is wrong. And in doing so, he advances two arguments against the practice of partiality and why it is wrong. The first argument is what we dealt with the last time we were in this book, and it was the social argument which is recorded from verse 5 through to verse 7. And in in there he was trying to show that showing partiality is inconsistent with the Christian conduct. Even at the social level, if you are going to consider someone more than the other based on their outward appearance or their economic status, it is already showing that that is inconsistent with the Christian faith or the Christian conduct. And so that's the social argument that he brings. And then this afternoon, we'll deal with the moral argument. And this is in verse 8 through to verse 11. And then he ends with an appeal to consistent living, and that's in verse 12 and verse 13. 
And as we deal with this aspect of showing why partiality is wrong, we, we, we really need to ask ourselves the question whether we are guilty, not just of partiality as James will, deal, will show to us, is the fact that if we are showing partiality or breaking any of God's laws, we become guilty of breaking the entire law of God as the scriptures will love us. And this is why we need Christ. Christ for our sanctification, Christ for our salvation, because it is him alone who perfectly obeyed all of God's commandments. He never broke one, not at any time. And so even us as Christians, we may not be guilty of partiality, but we may be guilty of other areas or other sins in our conduct. And we need to look to Christ, for it is only him who qualifies us and helps us to stay qualified in this walk or in this race of faith. And so we open up those verses, verse 8 through to verse 13. And the first thing James is, uh, brings out to show why partiality is wrong is this. Partiality is wrong because it violates God's law of love. It violates God's law of love. Verse 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And from the onset, he's, he's showing that showing partiality is violating God's law of love. It's, it's a breach of God's law. And in dealing with why partiality is wrong, James begins first by commending any fulfillment of this law of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. He knew that there might be some who might, who might claim that, look, I'm not guilty of partiality. In fact, what I've been doing is basically responding to the law of loving my neighbor as myself. And hence, James begins with the phrase, if you really fulfill the royal love according to the scriptures, you are doing well. And he, he begins with a condition, the if there is, is a conditional clause. And it can be translated as since or because. And so as, he's saying that because of this or since you are really fulfilling this law, then you are doing well. But also, he wants us to understand that, that this clause represents a reality that is assumed and self-evident. If there is no partiality being practiced, there is no need to worry. 
But he's saying, but since it's assumed, but not just assumed, there is also evidence, then there is need to take heed. And so James is willing to grant to, to those whose consciences clear them of any guilt of actual partiality to realize that, yes, what he is saying is that if you are not guilty of this and you are practicing your faith according to the scriptures, then you are doing well. Then you, you need to continue and if you are practicing it as the scriptures state, then continue. And he magnifies this law and he, digs, and he's, and he's assigns it as the royal law. And that expression occurs only here in the New Testament. No other place in the New Testament. And, and the idea it gives is that of supreme and sovereign, indicating that the Lord James is referring to his absolute, but also as this binding authority on everyone who's under it. There's no one who is exempted. And he so says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. You are doing well. And he's saying, if, if it's true of you, keep it up. You are doing well. And he singles out, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It is also recorded in Leviticus uh, 19, verse 18. And then also this law, is also cited a number of times in the Gospels. When you read the Synoptic Gospel, at least it's cited six times that you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then in Romans 13 and verse 9, again the Apostle Paul refers to it. And then also in Galatians 5 verse 14, Paul refers to it. And the Lord Jesus Christ referred to it as the second greatest commandment. After you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the point of the second greatest commandment is that if you care about your needs, then show the same care of the needs of others. If you care about how others treat you, then treat them the way you want to be treated. If you are concerned about your feelings, show the same care for the feelings of others. And hence, he now links this to how you treat the poor. That if you are so concerned about how you are, you are being treated, then surely you would also want to treat others the way you would like to be treated. And so he clearly highlights to us that part of biblical love for our neighbors includes treating each person fairly and without partiality. And so he commends them. 
but also he, he quickly moves on before his audience begins to, to applaud themselves that they, they are really doing good. He brings out this, this knockout punch. And he said, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And the but there marks the sharp contrast to the commendation he's just given. And he's basically saying that if this is true, you are guilty. You probably may think that partiality is not a big thing. And if this is true, you are showing partiality, you are guilty before God. And the, the compound verb there in, in the original language, uh, which James says, you show partiality, again is only used here in the New Testament, nowhere else. And he, he states this evil practice as being present in their midst. And so what James is really saying, that this issue of showing partiality was not some unfortunate action in, into which you found yourself in. Rather, it was a deliberate practice that was being done. And so it's not like they just stumbled and found themselves that they had fallen into this aspect of showing uh, partiality, but rather James is showing that this is something you are deliberately practicing in your midst. You are deliberately showing partiality and the standards you are using are either the social aspect of an individual and therefore you are violating the, the law of God which says love your neighbor as you love yourself. And James is saying that to apply the law of love is to look at the, the spirit of the law itself and to apply it into the context of the Christian faith. And he links this to, to partiality. And he's, he's basically saying to show partiality to the rich while you mistreat the poor with contempt or to show partiality to a certain class or group or a race of people while treating another class, another race, another group of people as inferior is to commit sin. It doesn't matter how it may feel as if it's a small thing. James is saying, this practice is sin. And he says, therefore, the law convicts you as transgressors. You are violating God's law. Because what you are doing is basically deliberately practicing what God forbids. And so the injunction there is we must not show partiality, but rather to love our neighbors as we love ourselves and to bear in mind 
that what God's law says is that in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone must be treated same because all of us are baptized in one faith and are immersed in one spirit and therefore we can call each other brothers and sisters regardless of our social statuses. In the church, let everyone feel that they belong. And if we practice partiality, then we are violating God's law of love and therefore it is wrong. But secondly, James shows us that violating God's law on any level is a serious matter. When we break the law of God at any level, it is a serious matter. And that's what he says in verse 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the, the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now, James goes on to show that a breach of God's law at any level is a serious matter. It's a serious thing. And he begins with a conjunction for. And basically is introducing the confirmation of the evil of their practice of partiality. And is connecting what he had says in the previous verses to what he's now saying. And therefore showing this is not a small matter. It's a serious matter because you are breaking the law of God and this is serious. And, and, and James was aware of, of the human tendency. And the human tendency is to offer some excuse as for the breach of, of this law uh, and, and give it some explanation. And especially when the failure was in relation to some minor matter. He was aware that a number would try and excuse themselves or would try and give a reason as to why they acted the way they did. And so James is saying here that no one can say or can have this excuse that, look, my disobedience is on just a small matter. Meanwhile, I've kept all these, these matters. I've kept all these big laws. I have not committed adultery. I have not made that. And surely, you can give me a break if all I've done is to show partiality. And James basically saying, this is the verdict. He knew that they would try to argue it out. But as a good, he, he, he acts as a good lawyer who is anticipating a response from his audience. And he knows that they will try to find an escape from this verdict. 
and give some excuse that maybe they do not treat everyone fairly, but that's not a big deal. Maybe it was just done once or twice. We are not committing adultery. We are not stealing. We are not murdering anyone. And James anticipating this response, in verse 10, he, he begins by stating the principle and then illustrating it in verse 11. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For whoever, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. For if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so James is showing that, look, my argument is connected to where I'm coming from. I'm not just throwing things at random. I'm showing the connection between partiality and the entire law of God. And James in verse 9 was assuming that, let's assume it's possible to keep the entire law. But if you break one law, you become guilty. And his reasoning there is that to commit one sinful act results in you breaking the entire law or commandments of God and makes a person guilty of breaking the whole law. And, and the principle is stating there is that keeping the whole law but you fail in one point it's as good as failing to keep the entire law of God. And in verse 11, he illustrates it. And he does so by, by, by quoting from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 and 14. And then also you find in Deuteronomy 5, verse 17 and 18. And he, he chose two of the most serious social sins of the day. When you read in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, if one committed adultery or one committed murder, in both cases, the, one, the breaking of these laws demanded the penalty of death. And James is showing that you may begin to develop this tendency to think that this law is more than the other. And yes, some sins, as we see in the scriptures, are more heinous than others. But even those sins we deem as small, they still make us to be guilty before, before God. And this was the tendency that the Jews developed the Jews regarded the laws of God as disconnected, like each law was complete in, its, in itself. Instead of seeing them as a chain, they looked at each law of God as disconnected to the others. And so for them, they began to develop this attitude that you can gain credit by observing the laws of God. 
So to keep one of the laws of God, you had these credits, and then if you, you, you broke the law of God, you lost, you incurred a debt, and therefore a person could, could at the end of the day, uh, looking at what laws he had kept and the ones he had, break, he had broken, rather, at the end of the day, he could have a, a, a moral credit or a moral debit balance. And so you, you, you find that there were most, some sins that were considered heinous, like committing adultery, breaking the Sabbath, uh, uh, committing murder. And many develop this tendency that as long as I'm, I'm keeping these, I'm gaining more points and more points and more points. And yet here we see what James is saying, that you may not be guilty of these, but if you break any of the laws of God, you become a transgressor. You may not necessarily be guilty of adultery, but nonetheless you are guilty of breaking the laws of God. And James wants us to see that the law of God is like a chain. And a single break in the chain breaks the whole chain. Or to look at it as, 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 as a mirror or a window. Any single small crack in the mirror or on the window means that the entire thing is broken. And it's just a matter of time. It will fall apart. And so his concern is to show believers and to show all of us that a breach of God's law at any level is a serious thing. One should not console themselves that this is a small sin and it's, it's common in human beings to think like that. But you must see it from God's perspective. Sin is an insult to God. It may seem small to you, but it's an insult to God. And therefore, in the books of God, you have become a transgressor, a robe breaker. And that's the seriousness that James wants all of us to have in our minds. There's no such a thing as small sins as far as God is concerned. There's one of the examples that I could give is that of Lot's wife. A sin may look small in our eyes. She simply looked back and became a pillar of salt. And sometimes you might think that the sin and the punishment God brought on her doesn't add up because a sin is recorded in the scriptures in three words. She looked back. But when you analyze that sin, you actually see that it's more than that meets the eye. A sin may seem small, but it revealed the love of the world in Lord's wife. God had said he would destroy Sodom, but her heart was in Sodom, even though her body was out of Sodom. And one last look to the things she loved, she became a pill of salt. But also that look revealed a proud unbelief in her. God had said you would destroy Sodom. 
But for a moment, even though she was running with the husband towards Zohar, for a moment, she did not think that God would actually do what he had said. She did not believe that God would actually destroy Sodom. And so you see, from God who understands our minds and our hearts, he knows that you may judge this sin to be small, but a, a breach of the laws of God is a serious sin. And we must take heed the counsel of the scriptures. And, and, and this, this, this tendency is common, especially in places or churches where salvation of works is taught. Many think that the acceptance or rejection by God is dependent on your moral stance. It's dependent on, on, on your morality. If you've done good and bad on the day of judgment, God is going to wear the good and the bad. And then he's going to see where, where the swing is tilting. And if it's on the good, then you allow you into his entrance. And when you meet such people and try to reason with them that breaking one law means you're a transgressor, you've broken the entire law of God, they just find it hard to understand. Because this is a tendency that resonates with us as human beings. It resonates with our fallen nature. Because we, we like comparing. And you see that this is a more serious sin than this, this one. And yet, God's word is very clear. Isn't it true even of our laws of the land? It doesn't matter what code or what section of the law you've, you've breached. When you go before the laws of court and you are found guilty and you are sentenced to prison, as far as your records are concerned, you are a criminal. So it doesn't matter what, what you've committed. When everyone, when everyone is asking about your past and they see something, all they'll see is he, has a, he or she has a criminal record. It doesn't matter how much you try and exp explain your books as far as the law of the lands are concerned. Criminal. Now how much more with the law of an infinite God. And James is showing to us that partiality is to violate God's law of love, but it's also a serious matter because it renders us guilty before the almighty God. And this is why this portion in the letter of James is, is committed to dealing with this aspect. That it is one that we can easily try to argue out, or one that we can easily overlook, yet it is one that is a matter of serious breach of God's commands. And hence the need 
to constantly examine ourselves and see whether we are guilty of this sin or we are fulfilling the royal love according to the scriptures. And having dealt with the fact that partiality violates God's law and violating God's law is a serious matter, James ends with an appeal. He concludes with an appeal. And the appeal is that of consistent Christian living. That's the appeal he makes. That we must all be consistent in our practice of faith. Verse 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's the appeal he ends up with. He's shown why partiality is wrong. It violates God's law. And then he shows that a breach of God's law is a serious matter. And his appeal to all of us is the appeal of consistent Christian living. And he's basically saying that how we speak and act must be in line with our Christian faith, but also must remind us that we will stand before God to give an account of our lives. And hence his appeal is, be consistent in your living as a child of God. And his primary reference in this appeal is to the treatment of the poor. But this appeal is applicable to all of our Christian lives. It's not just applicable to the treatment of the poor, although that's the immediate context here, but it's also applicable in the whole of our lives. And he states his appeal in verse 12, and then he enforces that appeal with a solemn reminder concerning the coming judgment in verse 13. And so he writes, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. And the imperatives that he gives there makes this as a duty and not a desirable option. It's a duty. He's saying this and this you must do. And why must you do this thing? In view of the coming judgment, you must follow these things. And these imperatives are not in isolation. He's saying you must speak and you must act. Why? Because you are to be judged under the law of God. That is the appeal that he makes. And he's basically saying, look, keep in mind this truth. 
And the truth is a day is coming when God will call all of us to account. And we're going to account for every deed, whether good or bad. And verse, verse 13, the first part I would like to believe that it's referring to unbelievers. And then the last part where it says mercy triumphs over judgment to the believers. And, and really, why I'm saying this is there are those in their midst who were not saved but professed outwardly to be saved. And so James is showing that those who profess outwardly to be saved and yet do not show mercy to the poor, mercy to others, prove that their faith is dead. Because genuine saving faith shows mercy to others because they have received mercy from God. And he's saying if you profess to know Christ, but do not show mercy to the needy, then your profession is worthless. That's all he's saying when he says, for judgment without mercy to one who has, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. That's all James is saying there. And he's saying, showing mercy to others demonstrates that you have received mercy from God yourself. And it ties in with what the Lord Jesus Christ said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And James is not in any way saying that we earn or merit mercy. That's not what he's saying. Because mercy by its definition is unmerited, is an end. But rather, he's saying that mercy flows to others from those who've received mercy. Because as you drink in the mercy of God, you too show that mercy because of the mercies of God flowing through you. And the last part, mercy triumphs over judgment. Different commentators debate us, is this the mercy of God or is this the mercy that we show others? But I, th I feel it's a blend of the two. Because if, if we say it's mercy that refers to the mercy of God, then what James is saying is this. That while we are living our Christian lives and knowing that we'll stand before God, we recognize that God ultimately is a God of mercy. He's the one who provides in his grace a mercy to escape that judgment. And so that in Christ we find mercy, we find grace. And therefore, if this mercy is a reference to God's mercy, then we are saying only in God, by his mercies, can we escape the coming judgment. But if it's, it refers to the mercies, we show others then what James is really saying is that when we are merciful towards others we demonstrate a heart that has been made right by God's 
work of grace in that heart. Like I said, these two ideas blend because we realize that our attempt to show mercy to others is imperfect. And the only way we're able to show mercy to others is because of the perfect mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ that is given to us by his grace. And it is on that basis that we too can show mercy to others. If it was not for the mercies we receive from Christ, it is impossible to show mercy. And mercy will not flow through us to others. But when we are conscious of the fact that we have received mercy despite the many sins we've committed against God, we too become merciful because of the mercies of God which is constantly before us. And therefore, we become merciful to others. And hence his appeal that Christianity must be lived consistently our conduct, our speech, our actions must radiate the mercies, the grace of God in us. So that when the world see us, they'll see Christ in us. And they'll not say that it's because we are good, but they'll be pointed to that fountain of mercy, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so James' appeal is that we must live our lives with this reality that we'll stand before God. And because we'll stand before God, our goal is that we might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And therefore, our speech, our actions, and everything we do, we would want them to radiate the faith and the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. So that when we stand before God, we may stand as it were faultless before him because of his mercies and his grace upon us. And this appeal is for us to live in accordance with our profession of faith. So that we will not be guilty of any sin, whether partiality or murder or adultery as it were. And what is James saying even as we conclude? James' thought is this. To show partiality violates the second great commandment of God's law to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And to break God's law is sin. And to break even one part of God's law is breaking the whole of God's law. And since God's law will be the standard by which we will be judged, we should live in light of the coming judgment 
especially by showing mercy to the poor around us. And hence the need for us to cry with the hymn writer, Brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. And pray that I might have the grace to let you be my servant as well. That must be our prayer. That as we live our lives, we will recognize that we are one family. We belong to one God, and you want to be each other's servants. And by doing so, we will demonstrate what the Lord Jesus Christ said. By this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another, and this love is demonstrated in the smallest details of our relationship with one another, and hence, James demonstrates to us that partiality is wrong. And may God help us to be each other's keepers and to show one another the love that is ours in Christ. Amen.